It's January 29th, 2020. Or at least it was when I hit the publish button. To future audiences listening to the Lollygaggers podcast, was Cyberpunk 2077 as good as it is in my dreams? In this episode, Justin discovers a new game to be bad at with League of Runeterra, while Jeff tries to atone in the board game Vindication. Both Lollygaggers then check back in with the Robinsons as they discuss Lost in Space. Welcome to episode number 78 of the Lollygaggers podcast, a show about all sorts of different things, from comics to games, movies to TV. I am one of your hosts, Jeff. I'm the other one, Justin. How's it going, buddy? It's doing. I'm going all right, man. Uh, we had a we had a recording session last night for Adventures. Oh, that was fun. We were we had like a good three to four hour session. They uh, they got me a, a birthday cake, and uh, it was basically a cheesecake, but like because I like cheesecake. And they put these little candles on it, and it's hilarious. We know the joke, like the joke about like my age, that yeah, it's ridiculously uh, large I number. The joke, but like I've had a joke with like gay colors, and I'm fairly young, and so uh, and so I was like, you know, I was like, I don't want to see the big number on the damn thing, right? Because I'm obsessed with that. But uh, but they put a uh, 23 ish on uh, as candles. Like there was like a two and a three, oh, okay. and there's an ish, and it was super funny. And the cheesecake, uh, as as most cheesecake is. It's delicious. Do you like cheesecake? Um, it's not my favorite. Uh, I prefer a nice white trashy cake of yellow cake chocolate frosting from uh, Betty Crocker. <laughs> okay, I prefer that You're out of simple everything. Simple man, I grew up with it. You're yeah, simple so man. Like, even if like you get like the buttercream from like the store, I really don't like that that much. I just like a nice Betty yeah. Crocker yellow cake chocolate frosting from the can. Yeah, that's what I'm about. I like white trash birthday. Cake, so uh, it's all right. It's all right. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. I haven't had one of those like cake mixes in a long time. Like, like, Dude, like it's the only way to go. Yeah, it's the only way to go. I don't know. Like, I get my wife for her birthdays. I get like these bunt cakes. We have a place nearby called Nothing Bunt Cakes, and like they're these really fancy looking bunt cakes, and it's delicious, and they're wonderful, and everyone's happy. And then she gets me like these fancy stuff, and we like the cakes. But the problem is, is there's like a lot of fondant on them. Like, there's fondant on the top and the sides, and the fondant always tastes like ass. Uh, so there you go. And speaking of uh, and speaking of fondant, uh, this made sense if you were there. I saw Patton Oswalt this weekend. I know he's a favorite of yours. Oh, I want to see him so be. Yeah, yeah. He's he was absolutely hilarious, man. Uh, he was he was fantastic. His opening act, I don't remember the guy's name, was not funny at all. Like wow, like it was just not. It, it was just it was really awkward. Like he his very first his very first joke, he was making fun of homeless people, and that just sort of set the tone. And it's just like, all right, I guess we're just no one's gonna laugh at what everything you say right now. It's 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 fantastic. And he kept doing like a lot of those really generic like sitcom type humor. Like he was doing the whole like man goes to the bathroom late at night, pees on the seat, ha 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 ha. It's just like yeah, haven't heard that a thousand times, you know. But then Patton Oswalt comes out, crushes it. Dude's hilarious. I think he should get more love than he he gets. He was in the news too recently. I guess he he got picked for a voice of something. You might know that. I don't. But oh, anyway, yeah, he's going to voice of Modoc. Yeah, Modoc's in a TV show yeah. on uh, Disney Plus. So anyway, that's up with me. What's up with you? What have you been doing? What have you been playing? Nothing. I've uh, had a pretty uh, eventful weekend. So I spent most of my time playing Legends of Runeterra by Riot Games, and wow. that's what I'm going to talk about. Let's do uh, it. So. Uh, uh, Legends of Runeterra is a TCG player. It's very much akin to uh, Magic Arena or more more like uh, Hearthstone. Uh, it's produced by Riot Games, some guys who do League of Legends. Um, and so Runeterra is the, like, the world that the League of Legends is set in. And so the Legends is based around all the characters. So a lot of the main characters, you have like 
Vlad and uh, you have Darius and uh, I'm trying to think of different people. You have uh, I saw Garen, Garen Brom, who shows Timo, up as Boros, Heimerdinger, my boy. Yeah, yeah, Timo, Brom, Heimerdinger. You have uh, Lucian, Senna, like pretty much all the people from like. There's a whole bunch. I think there's maybe 20 right now. There's a lot. Zed. There's a whole bunch of people. And so basically, it's a TCG player. Um, so there's a trading card game like Hearthstone. And I played a whole bunch of it this weekend. I played like uh, maybe 10 hours worth because I uh, was watching um, uh, what, what, what we're reviewing today. I was watching Lost in Space. And it's a nice, easy game to kind of have and have that playing in the background. So uh, there's basically four major ways to play it right now. You have player versus player, which is like regular. You can do normal. You can do ranked. You have player versus AI. So it's basically just practice games against computer. You have Expeditions, which is very similar to Hearthstone's Arena, where you can basically make whatever deck you want and go into a thing and right. that stuff. Um, and then there's Tutorials, which I went through all the tutorials, and I found the tutorials be very helpful for the game. They show you all the different uh, mechanics and aspects of the cards and stuff. So I went through all the tutorials before I actually played the game. Plus, if you go through the tutorials, you get bonus. Yeah, you get a uh, bunch of points and stuff that you can spend yeah. and you can get rewards. I did the, I did tutorials as well. Yeah, and so basically the way that the money works in the game is it's a free-to-play game, 100% free-to-play. You don't have to buy anything. It's very much akin to Hearthstone or, or just League uh, of Legends. Magic. Or just League yeah, of Legends, League. yeah. The idea of yeah. like, none of that, you don't have to buy, buy anything. I mean, you will eventually. It'll suck you in and you'll spend $40,000 and not yeah. realize it, that you spend On like a Poro with a hat or something. I know, but, but it was like such a, a cute hat though, Justin. Yeah. Come on. So... You get your cards by just completing missions through the days and then just winning and stuff like that. But if you really don't, don't want to wait too much like how I do with Magic, you can spend like 20 bucks and get like opening decks and stuff. And you just basically get booster packs and stuff like that. Are you telling it's, me that you've already spent money? harder? I have not yet. I'm really <laughs> thinking about it. All right. All right. Uh, but they have things that kind of like deter you from that because you can kind of like become an, an allegiance with different regions and if you like a specific area like demacia or or uh, noxus or whatever you can kind of as you play the game earn like i guess experience and that experience gains in that specific area and you can unlock cards for that specific area so right now i'm an allegiance with demacia until i clear it out and nice. i'm basically clearing out all of demacia's different capsule cards you can get which can range from like you get like three or four cards or you can get like a, a chest that's got like six 16 cards in or whatever like that is piltover so, like, one of the things that you can align with i haven't gotten as far as you have um you can do demacia failure iona noxus piltover zon okay yeah. and the shadow Isles. yeah because piltover is like heimerdinger and a lot of the yeah the little uh, little guys yordles. Yeah. yordles thank you so yeah and right now i just is like you know demacia is the first one i'm just gonna go through that once I'm through Demacia, then I'll probably work on like Piltover or something because I am curious. I'm playing a Teemo deck because, of course. Um, but like, it's it's just an interesting way to kind of like get your cards through just gameplay, and you really don't need. To, and like, I built a really cheap, um, like I guess you said like uh, they're called um, what is it called? Uh, budget decks, and I made a little cheap budget deck with um. It has uh, Jinx and it has Zed in it. It's a little aggro deck, and it's really fun. It's about these elusive characters that don't get blocked and stuff like that, but they're low damage. But uh, I did it all with 
nothing. I, I didn't buy a single thing, and it's a very successful deck. I can go in there and win the most of the time if you know because I just know the mechanics of the game. The game's pretty simple though, how it builds together. Basically, each person has a turn, and you, there's a coin that flips between the two people. At one time, there's an attacker and then there's a defender. And if you're on the attacker side, you have priority of actions. So basically, goes action, attack, action. But you can do as many actions as you want. But the minute you do an action, your opponent can also do an action. So say I'm attacking you. If I put down a card, because I put that card down, now that allows you to put a card down. So there's strategy involved with not putting uh, different cards down or just holding on stuff, maybe just going straight to attack phase. Because maybe you don't have the things to defend with. So if I put the things out to attack before you can even do anything, now you can't defend. Um, There's also three different types of sorcery style cards. There is slow, which works like sorcery in magic, where it's basically you put it out there, it can be interrupted, it can something can go in front of it. There's fast that goes before slow, so you, you can react, they can almost like instant speed in, in the card game. And then there's burst, which is like uh, I guess the best way I can describe it is split second, where you put it out there and it can't be interrupted. So you have sorcery, instance, and split second type of cards, which is pretty interesting. One thing I don't like about Hearthstone is that you're kind of stuck sitting there waiting for someone to do what they need to do to you. And really the only interaction you have with them during their turn is maybe if you put a trap card down or something. Uh, that's why I like right. magic. And it gets really boring can, and passive. Like you're yeah. just sitting there. And especially when you have to wait just through waiting. all the animations. So it's like, okay, you don't need to turn it. Nope, nope, still going. And I mean, and to, to be fair, Hearthstone's not the only one, the only game that has that problem. But like, it's definitely noticeable. And, and I, I feel you. Like when I used to play that, it'd be like, all right, well, you can go do all that. I'm going to go make a sandwich. I'll be back in 20 minutes. You let me know. Oh. There's definitely decks in magic that can do that. But because of the interactions of a lot of the cards in magic, being with instant speed spells and stuff like that, it makes it a little bit more interactive. And there's a lot of, I enjoy the idea of being able to set people up and having people come up with an idea and then you completely ruining their idea based on you knowing what their deck consists of and how you can kind of counter the information. Not, not necessarily like a counter spell, like stopping them from doing it, but just kind of like anticipating what they're going to do and having something you can do to kind of like, basically be a step ahead of them because you know what they're kind of doing that's that's the type of stuff i like about magic where it's not necessarily like i know you're gonna play a spell so i'm just gonna cancel it it's more along the lines of i'm gonna bait you out force you to do something that i know you want to do and then i do something on my side that makes it a, a benefit for me and a detriment towards you and i like that type of gameplay on your side offensively if you don't play cards because if you don't play cards then they can't play anything back because you have set priority every time it's your turn um, so it's, it really is a mixture between Hearthstone and Magic. Plus, you have these really cool characters that have been developed over time, and you have a lot of these ancillary new characters that they're kind of inventing for this, and they, they kind right. of you know fill the world that they've been trying to develop, which I think works pretty uh, well with what they're trying to do with. Yeah, the it's whole like a supporting cast company. type of thing, where like certain yeah. some some of them are named, and some of them are just like sort of generic NPC types that are sort of in that particular. Like in, in like some sort of military organization or if it's just some some person who's just a member of that particular faction. It's not like not everyone has a name, but some people do. Um, and I would say also it's like you and I, you know, longtime league players. It's definitely cool seeing like like just like when we saw TFT, like seeing seeing these characters that we already know and we kind of already have an idea of what they do, at least in the regular game. And then seeing how that's iterated upon in these two these these two new games, TF, first TFT and now this 
and trying to get the feel or the theme of them, like Heimerdinger with all of his different uh, his, his different turrets and seeing how that sort of manifests in uh, in this particular way. Like every time you play certain cards with Heimerdinger, you can get like to, to you can just automatically pop up like a turret. And then I'm I haven't is Timo even in the game yet? I don't even know. I know you look. Yeah, so Timo's in the game. So the way he works is he's I guess kind of like an infect deck where when he strikes you, he puts mushrooms in your deck, and then if he gets 15 mushrooms, then he gets to transform and come. Which is, like, a really cool, like, way of adapting on, like, Teemo's mushroom concept, because, like, his old. Yeah, if if you pull the mushroom card, it hurts you personally. So it's, like... It Every time like someone someone plays uh, Timo on our team, it hurts me personally. So I think I get tired when Keith does it too. It's really annoying sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, one of the big mechanics about the game is you get these hero cards, these legend cards, because it's about Legends of Ruterra. So if you get like a Jinx card, they have little uh, qualifiers that help them level up and become a better card. So for let's say Garen, if Garen attacks twice, he levels up. Um, and when he levels up, he gets a huge regeneration every time that he lo- that he, the turn goes by. Jinx, if your hand is empty, she levels up, and every time, every phase you go to the next like next turn for you, if your hand is empty, you get a giant rocket to throw at their nexus. Because everyone has like little things that also run really in line with their character. Right. I believe that uh, Zed he gets. When he attacks, he, gets a he creates sh- a shadow. Yeah, shadow. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've played that. And if he levels up, he gets two shadows. Yeah. And so basically it's very similar to their gameplay in the game. And then Brom, if he levels up, every time you hit Brom, he gets a little uh, Poro that helps him out. I'm really interested in making a Poro deck because there's one Poro card, which might be the most adorable. Yet is it the lonely one? It's the lonely one, right? The lonely Poro is the, so cute and But so then sad. when you play another Poro next to it, it flips over and it's like an excitable Poro now because it has friends. It's so happy. I love it. It's, it's, it's such a cute little touch. I love it. It's fantastic. So uh, That's what I like a lot about the game too is that it's very cute. It's very sweet in a lot of ways. Um, the the animations, like there's a lot of um, like almost like comic book animations between certain characters um, especially during tutorials, you have little uh, animations you can do to each other. Of course, that's all cosmetics, and it being League of Legends and Riot, uh, cosmetics are all money based. So whether you get a new little buddy in the corner or little emotes you can send to people, you can pay for that stuff. Which seems like you won't have to, but then when you see like a baby dragon that spits fire out of its butt, you're like, oh my god, it's amazing! I want to have that. You're gonna drop twenty bucks on it because why not? It's cute, so. That's how they kind of wrap you in because they're they're game developers and they're they the way they kind of create stuff. You're just like, man, that's real cool. Because I I was hold I was sitting on not buying a uh, a legendary misfortune skin for like a month and I was like, screw it, here's twenty bucks and I bought a misfortune skin. So it's like that, that's how they kind of get you because it looks really really cool. So or you go my route Anyways. and you just play a bunch and then you get the the skins for free because you keep opening the, the, the treasure chests and stuff like that because I just got Battle Professor Graves. Or you go Graves. to Keith route. You well, go to Keith route too. I can't afford going to Keith route. I have a mortgage, so yeah. Keith spent like a thousand I think he dollars said a month. Like- thousand or twelve hundred bucks on league that's insane. for the past 10 years and that's not even the game Anyways. he spent the most amount of money on too don't get him started it's on nice night online us. no it's night nice. online man oh look out he'll tell you all about night online so that's legends of Terra's by right games it's just in beta right now but it's completely open beta so everyone can play it um i know it's just the beginning i know when uh, magic arena first came out it was kind of garbage this is starting off okay I can't wait to see how that kind of improved over time with people giving their suggestions and different things. So, so far, I really, really like it. So, yeah, try it out. 
All right, man. So uh, I played a little bit. Of, I played a little bit of Runeterra myself, but I haven't had a ton of time to get into it yet. But uh, I do want to talk about a board game that my wife and I have been playing the past few weeks uh, that uh, we've both kind of enjoyed. It's a game called Vindication. It's by a company called Orange Nebula Games, and it's designed by uh, people that uh, I probably should have their name. Uh, Mark uh, Neidlinger is the is the name of the designer. Uh, the game is uh, it's a pretty interesting mix because it has a lot of what is traditionally in the board game world called like Euro elements. And then it also has a theme. Uh, we can argue whether or not that theme is like super integrated into a lot of the things you're doing, but that doesn't really matter. Uh, but basically it's an area majority majority game, meaning that there's specific locations around on the board between, uh, you know, between you and your opponents that you're trying to kind of control. And you're also just trying to kind of collect honor points uh, as you go around and do various actions. It's set in a fantasy world uh, where you play quite literally a wretched person uh, who was like thrown overboard on their ship and has now washed ashore on this island that has all sorts of ruins and people that you have to now encounter with. And so the whole idea of the game is that you're exploring this island with your opponents uh, and you're meeting people and you're trying to do all sorts of different things to atone for your horrible life up until that point. Now, you don't actually have to do that. You don't have to actually atone. There is a mechanic later on in game where you do atone and get points for it, but you don't have to do it, but effectively you're still wandering the island. And this could involve things like fighting some monsters, recruiting other allies and companions, collecting all sorts of magical artifacts, gaining new traits, trying to build up your various attributes like strength and intelligence and spirit. And you do this all basically by shifting cubes around in different locations on this big board. I mean, that's that's pretty much what it is. But nonetheless, it's still very fun. Uh, now, the game board is actually kind of interesting because normally when we think of board games, we think of things that are a little bit rectangular or square, but this one has kind of like a hexagonal shape to it. Um, and there's this outer frame around like the, the kind of the outer edge of the the board itself is like a is like this holding space for various uh, various pools that you put your attributes in and also for various decks of cards that contain things like allies and artifacts and monsters. Right. And it also delineates all the different attributes that that are in game there's like three primary ones and then there's like three secondary ones or heroic attributes and attributes are really important because like you're shifting your influence all over the map and all over the board and you're trying to like kind of control those those attributes so if you're like the strongest or if you're the most courageous if you're the most intelligent that kind of thing by the end of the game you can kind of accrue some points for that and also you can sometimes recruit allies that are associated with intelligence or associated with strength. Like you get like a really good warrior who's now following you on your on your ex exploits as you travel around this island. Now, the rest of the interior parts of the board is another hexagon that's basically blank. So it's like the blank island. And it's all broken up into these little spaces where eventually you will populate with tiles. So as you and as your opponents travel around the map, you move from space to space. And as you pass an empty space, you reach into this bag and you pull out, you know, a little tile and you place it down and there's a new location, like a new home or not necessarily a home, but a new like building or a ruin or a library or a stables or something like that. And so every time you play the game, the layout of the island is going to be different. Now, it's the same. It's the same sort of basic, basic uh, locations will show up every single game if you use the base game. But then there's expansions that add uh, kind of more advanced and more interesting locations if you want to shake things up and add some extra variability. Uh, but the sheer fact that like the the island itself is different every single time you play is always really cool. I love variability. I love modular games like that, modular tiles. So uh, that's a that's a kind of a big win. 
Uh, the tiles and buildings, they can be visited by your characters and you can get various benefits, but usually those benefits require you to pay something. Again, this game is very much about moving cubes from one specific place to another specific place to another, another specific space. And it's all about kind of using those that resource management to control different things or to access different actions and different activities. Now, in addition to the main main game board there, everyone has their own little uh, individual player board and like a little play area. And it has like these three pools where your characters influence cubes begin. Uh, there's the, the breakdown is basically potential, which is on the left. And then in the middle is influence. And then on the right is conviction conviction. So over the course of the game, what you're doing is as you're kind of thematically improving your character and as you're visiting new places, re- recruiting new allies, fighting new monsters, you're you're constantly shifting your potential over to the right as you're becoming more and more influential. And so you're no longer just this wretched person who's washed up on the shore, but now you're actually becoming more proficient in your various skills and abilities and you're becoming more uh, more well known throughout the land. And then you can now start using those cubes for other things, because when something's just in potential, there's not a whole lot you can do with it. But once you get it into like that, that middle pool, now you can start moving it around. And when you put in conviction, even more special things uh, can start to happen. So um, the uh, the gameplay is is pretty simple. It's just turn based. So on a player's turn, you can do three main actions. Uh, the first thing you can do is you can activate either yourself or you can activate one of your companions. And this basically means that you can you can take some of your influence cl- cubes and you can put them somewhere on the map. Like think of it like they're practicing for that round. So maybe you're like sparring and you're getting a little bit extra strength this round. And so now you have some more stuff to do when it comes to doing strength, strength based uh, activities or intelligence or something like that. Um, but you can also inv- you can al- also activate your companions, which can also give you some of those attribute cubes. But they also have other uh, other effects as well, uh, sometimes passive, sometimes active. And uh, it's always good to have those. Uh, now, in addition to activating, you can move. So you just kind of move around the map. And over the course of the game, you can kind of improve your movement. And it's pretty cool because as you improve your m- movement, you're like basically riding different things. And by the end, you're like flying. Like if you just keep continuing to improve your your movement, you just end up at the end of the game, you're flying like this crazy big old Mothra type animal, which is pretty cool. Uh, now, the the next thing you basically can do is you can interact with one of those locations that you pull out of the pull out of the, the tile the tile bag and set down somewhere on the on the board. And they all have different things that you can potentially do, and they usually have a cost associated with them. So you can go to certain locations that might uh, might give you strength. You go to certain locations that might require you to spend some intelligence. Uh, you can go like to the maw, for instance, where you can fight monsters because there's monsters coming up out of that giant maw uh, that appears somewhere on the map. Uh, or you can go to like a lost ruin or a lost temple and, and find some artifacts, which are cards, and they give you sort of more abilities and, and more stats and attributes and stuff like that. Uh, so you're, it, the, the game is all about like taking your influence and placing them in different locations. But it's again, it's trying to be thematic. It's trying to you know give you a reason for why you're doing the various things that you're doing. Uh, now, in addition to the primary attributes, there's also a bunch of heroic attributes that you get from combining two others. So if you were, for instance, combine like the primary attribute strength with, a, with, with spirit, you become courageous. So you get courage and courage you use to then actually fight monsters. And so if you fight monsters and kill them, then you can take a monster card into your like into your play area and it has honor points on it and it has other benefits on it. And over the course of the game, if you're continuing to do that, uh, then you're accruing and you're racking up a lot of those points. Uh, now, 
all the time all while you're doing all this kind of stuff. So exploring the island, interacting with locations, activating your allies, manipulating all those influence cubes and your attributes. You're continuing to accrue this honor points. And once a certain number of honor points has been accrued, like a new end game trigger will be drawn and added to the couple that you had to had to draw during setup. So every game has kind of like a, a handful of different end game triggers. So it's never quite the same. So it adds again, variability. And so some of those triggers could be like having, having a certain number of allies. Once like this amount of allies has been accrued or somebody has recruited this many allies on the next turn, the game's over. Or once somebody has like acquired three artifacts, the next round is over. Or once somebody has killed a certain amount of monsters, the next round is over, that type of thing. And so so what that's doing then, adding those extra triggers, it's just trying to help you eliminate the idea of like a runaway leader. So if someone's getting really, really far ahead, all they're doing is just adding more and more ways for the game to end, which is which is really, really nice. Um, So that's the game. And my wife and I have played it a bunch of times and there's a lot of things that we like about it. Uh, Production of the game is amazing. Uh, So the the, the, the game box is quite big, but inside of that box, there is a very effective insert. and like in the old days, like board games basically just had like this pretty useless piece of cardboard that would sit inside of the box and you'd sort of divvy up your uh, your stuff in bags or something like that. But these days, you you know, as the board game industry has really started to evolve and we've hit that kind of golden age, uh, more and more like there's companies that are trying to make the insert of all these various pieces and parts and cards that come into these board games easy to put away and easy to take out. Uh, and so this game is super easy to set up, super easy to put away. And that's despite the fact that there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of little pieces. Uh, there's like a little box, like this little plastic insert uh, that every single player has. And it has everything you need in it. It has like all your cubes. It has all your starting markers. It has like your character movement card. Uh, it's got these little icons that you uh, that you use to track your score and stuff like that. Uh, so everything's like super easy uh, to access. Uh, the rest of the insert in the in, in the game box like easily organizes the cards, so you can kind of pull out whatever use you need. Uh, so if you're playing with like certain expansions, you know you can take those out. But if you're not playing with those expansions, you can leave them in. Uh, there's also a handful of miniatures in the game, and in, in truth, we haven't really explored a lot of the miniatures. And part of me wonders why they're even there. I mean, they look great. Uh, but they take up a lot of space in the box. Uh, but nonetheless, like they look really cool and there's a place for them and it keeps everything nice and organized. Uh, there's also a leaders expansion that we haven't played yet. Uh, but we're because we're not yet to the point where we, we feel like we've exhausted or gotten bored with the base setup. Uh, but once we do, we want to like we want to like switch in some some new wrinkles to the gameplay or some new locations we might. Uh, but I, I think there's a there's a couple things that I think are attractive for this game for us. And one is that it has the sense of exploration, which is always really fun. Like being able to pull out a new location from a bag and place it on a map and be like, hey, we're building this and exploring this new island is great. And it's competitive. And my wife and I play a lot of co-op games. And one of the reasons is because we don't really like there. I don't mind competitive games and she doesn't mind competitive games, but we mind them when it gets to the point where we're like kind of, you know, ruining each other's sandcastles, right? Like, like when we do a lot of take that stuff, uh, when we counterspell. Uh, to use like a like if when we play blue decks for magic where like someone's trying to do something and you're just sitting there saying no you're not allowed to no you're not allowed to yeah i know you no would have fun snakes exactly like so like i know you would have fun playing that card but now i'm just not gonna let you do it you know or i know you just built up this really awesome thing over here so i'm gonna come over and destroy it that's not the type of game like competitive game that my wife and i really like uh so we look for games that are a little bit um 
like there's interactivity, but at the same time, it's allowing us to kind of do our own thing. And vindication is competitive, but not mean. And that's really nice. So uh, I think the theme itself is definitely also attractive because a lot of like Euro games have, I guess, historically the notion of like trading in the Mediterranean, these kind of dry themes. Uh, but in this game, it's fantastical. There's monsters. There's cool art on some cards. Uh, there's cool art on some of the uh, uh, on some of the little like cardboard cutout things. There's some cool miniatures I've already mentioned. There's a little bit of a story that pops up. There's some nice little flavor text on some of the cards. Uh, and like, even though it's not as kind of involved and robust a story as like you would play in like a role playing game or something like that, it's still like doing certain things and it's trying and it's allowing that little bit of taste of immersion uh, to to kind of blend together with like pretty cool mechanisms that actually create a really fun game. Uh, so this is Orange Nebula. They just had a game on Kickstarter about a month ago uh, called, um, I want to say like Unsettled or something like that. It's a, like a space exploration game uh, that looks cooperative. And so we are all over that Kickstarter. So you might want to check that out. Uh, if you're looking for a co-op game about exploring space, uh, considering we're about to talk about Lost in Space in a minute. Uh, but it's definitely something to look out for. I really like I really like this company so far. This is the only game I've played from them so far. This might even be the only game they've they've released, but just the high quality of everything involved with this production and really good rules, really fun theme. It's really hard to turn this down. It's a big box, uh, but if you have room on a shelf for it, it's definitely worth like the 80 bucks or something it costs for the amount of game that you got and the amount of production that you get in this box. So uh, that is Vindication, Orange Nebula Games. Go take a look for it now. All right. So uh, speaking of space, I just mentioned space, even though it had nothing to do with vindication necessarily. Uh, Justin and I are going to go. Uh, we're going to go do a look back, sort of, kind of on something we've already talked about once before on the show. But we're going to look at season two. It's the TV. Breakdown. All right. So Lost in Space is a modern sci fi adventure drama currently airing on a on Netflix, you can go get it now, both of the first two seasons. Uh, it stars Molly Parker and Toby Stevens as Maureen and John Robinson. They're the mother and father of the Robinson family, one of several families that have been selected to travel across space from Earth to Alpha Centauri uh, in order to help humanity try to avoid the increasingly threatening environment that's, uh, that's getting worse and worse on Earth every day. Uh, Taylor Russell uh, plays Judy, the eldest of the three kids, followed by uh, Mina Sundwall, as Penny and Maxwell Jenkins as Will, um, the basic premise of the uh, of the, the show is similar to the, like the older version of Lost in Space, and the family and a robot and a couple uh, specific characters, uh, including Don West and and Doctor Smith, uh, are out in space and they get stranded and they get lost and they kind of go through all sorts of different problem solving episodes and things like that. They try to get out of trouble. Uh, it's very family oriented in the sense that all these characters are part of. Uh, the same Jupiter. Jupiter is like a small, uh, a smaller space shuttle that is part of kind of a bigger, larger, uh, larger ship called the Resolute. Uh, so for this discussion this time, uh, we are going to focus on season two, and we're going to assume that anyone's listening uh, doesn't mind us uh, talking a lot about season one because we will, we will. I mean, not that we're planning on it one way or the other, but we're going to reference stuff from season one possibly. Uh, so as such, season two begins with the Robinsons still separated from the Resolute and the rest of humanity because that's how season one ended. Uh, the spacecraft that was uh, that was ferrying everyone else to Alpha Centauri is somewhere out there while 
while the Robinsons are stranded on a largely ocean planet. Uh, and while there, they make a kind of surprising and really fascinating discovery that periodically comes back uh, throughout the season. Another main storyline is is Will has lost his robot, and, and will he ever find the robot again? Uh, and so we're dealing a lot with Will's longing to get his friend back and figure out where his friend uh, might have gone. Um, now, there are a lot of other little wrinkles in politics that we're kind of going to get into over the time, uh, over the over the course of the uh, of the review. But uh, unsurprisingly, very quickly, the Robinsons solve their problem of being stranded, and then they begin to try to reunite and get back with wherever the Resolute has ended up. And in doing so, they discover some interesting threats—threats threats that are both like kind of foreign, uh, but also some that are a little bit more insular and human focused. So. Uh, so that's the quick summary. Uh, Justin, we reviewed this, if you can believe. We reviewed Lost in Space back in episode four. Lost in... <gasps> so long. It's we so just, long. Yeah. Such small lollygaggers at the I know. Time. We were so, so naive. We called it... Uh, I call, That was back when I actually titled the episodes uh, with stupid, clever things. I called this one Lost in Jason Statham's Abs because we talked about the Meg. All right. And we talked yeah. about Lost in Space at the same time, because like I think the Meg uh, had like a, a trailer come out and everything. Uh, I remember that my basic review is that I liked it. I didn't love it, but I liked it. I thought it looked really good, and it was a good, solid adventure show. Uh, I, I think my wife and I had burned through the first season. I don't think you had finished the first season, but uh, do you recall your original thoughts for uh, for Lost in Space? My original thoughts were I thought it was good, but not great. Um, and I, I still believe the thought that I had that I think that visually it's one of the most stunning shows I've seen in a long time. But there are a lot of little holes that make it a bit right. rough to take down sometimes. So like the thing um, the thing with Lost in Space is that it's. I mean, if you're going into this expecting like a super edgy, like kind of hardcore sci-fi drama that's like no holds barred, like it's The Witcher in space or something like that, like that's not really what you're going to get. Like it's still ultimately like a family show and it's all about the family dynamic of the Robinsons. And so there's going to be some moments that are a little hokey and cheesy, but that's just what it is. Like I'm not going to like evaluate that as being like good or bad. That's just what it wants to be. Uh, and so as long as you accept like this is what you're getting out of Lost in Space, you're getting something that's a little steered towards something that a whole family can watch together, then I think Lost in Space is kind of trying to strike that balance between kind of a hardcore science fiction stuff and also something that the family can access. Because it's not like you can really sit down with the family and watch Battlestar Galactica together, you know, like there's too many strong themes. There's too much there's too much sexual stuff. There's too much violence, you know. And there's too much complication when it comes to politics. Like, I think Lost in Space is trying to remain accessible to that family level while also trying to give, like, the cool eye candy and the cool, cool space exploration that some of us are also looking. So how far did you get in season two? I have one episode left. Um, and uh, <sighs> when we watched this, I was like, I think I was only episode three on the first season. So I had a lot of stuff to watch. So <laughs> I, I'm going to kind of, when I talk about this, I'm kind of keeping the whole the whole thing when I'm talking about it. Okay. So go for it. Visually, this show is probably one of the best looking shows I have ever seen. Now, um, when it, and it comes from design of things on the ship to uh, aliens that they see in different places, just everything just looks so solid. Even the robot 
who at times looks kind of hokey. He's just a guy with longer arms. At times looks a little bad, but most of the time looks pretty ridiculously good um, with the way they do a lot of their stuff. I think that all of the actors do a great job. The youngest actor that plays Will Robinson, you know, for being a young child actor, I think he's quite good in what he does. I think Judy is a compelling character. And I also think that uh, Penny is probably the best character on the show because she's funny. We 100% agree quirky. on that. Yeah. yeah she's 100%. Just, she's my favorite character. The most realistic person. Like, are you guys kidding me? Like, she's, yeah, like she's the only one. That's she's like, fantastic. Um, I think it's really cool the dynamic that the mother is kind of the one in charge um, and in such a stark way that she's like the smartest person on the Resolute and stuff like that. And she's underutilized by the people on the Resolute because she is so much better than everybody else. Um, when considering all that, I, I think that the family, I don't have a problem with the family aspect. I think it's sweet. You don't always need a show that's trying to be depressing and shove sadness down your throat. Yes, I like I the family aspect. I like the stuff where they kind of really explore the father left them at a certain amount of time and he kind of went along his own thing. He kind of left his family behind and there's a lot of stuff there that they explore. My problem is I don't think they explored enough. When they do the flashbacks and stuff, I don't feel like they do enough flashbacks of how they were back on the previous, you know, when they were on Earth before the right. incident happened. That there caused was that one kind of episode this season was like, like, I think it was like episode four, maybe it's five, somewhere in that, where there was like very Judy. It was about focused. him and Judy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Good. And there was like, and that felt almost like a lost episode where we had like, all right, yes, here's, very here's seven minutes of present day story. Here's seven minutes of past story. Here's seven, like back and forth we go. Like, and I like yeah. that. I like seeing like, you know, they're they're in a good place right now as a family, right? I want to see the compelling nature of that is where they came from, where they were, and how they've grown over this time, which I think is interesting. Um, my two biggest gripes or three biggest gripes of the show, the first two are kind of related to each other. First off, how many times is dad almost going to die? Because I think he's almost died five times so far. Yeah. To a point where it's like, all right, this is it. And then he's just not dead. Um, related to that is these are the most unfortunately unlucky people on the planet <laughs> because they or in the galaxy, because everything that bad that happens around the Resolute happens around the Robinsons. One can make an argument, much like the Ralph Machio thing, that they are the problem. Yeah, not that, the that's what I was. That, that's what my argument was going to be. Like, there are some things that they do in this season, especially towards the latter half, where I'm just like. You know, you might have just tried to have a conversation with somebody who seems like a reasonable person and that might have avoided a lot of the things that you had to do in episodes like eight and nine. Yeah. I'm just saying, just yeah, throw so that especially out there. The I whole, feel like that uh, one you brought in yourself. There's a partial spoiler, the whole mutiny thing. Like you could have yeah. just we could have just talked it out a little bit and yeah. had a conversation. Yeah. That was a little bit of the biggest problem I have is why is Parker Posey such a dick? They don't do enough to explain <laughs> why she's such an awful person. And the things that she does, you would argue, oh, she's just a self, you know, preservist or whatever. Like she's there to try and like make sure she herself survives. But most of the things that she does from season one to season two are in detriment to her survival. Like I don't understand why she does a lot of things that she does. It makes no sense. She's just an asshole to be an asshole. And it doesn't make much sense. It's, Right. It's like, and you mentioned it before. I kind of uh, like relate her to akin to like a guy's Baltar, right? But guy's Baltar was so much more uh, nuanced. It has so much more things he was doing, and there was motivations behind the actions that he had. 
for her, it's just like, oh, she was crazy. And that's just kind of a dick. Right. And her actions don't make any sense at all. Like the last couple episodes where she tries to help, like legitimately tries to help. And then and then doesn't. Gets, and then does. And then yeah, doesn't. And then does. Yeah, it gets a little yeah. annoying. And then and then it becomes a thing where it's like then she's kind of turns them again, but like her motivation is like, oh, because John kind of yelled at me a little bit. Like you're trying to show your rede- I, I get they're trying to give her kind of a redemption story almost, but they're really dragging their feet, which makes me almost think very much too like a lost thing that they don't know where they're going with the story at all. That's certainly fair. Um, it is a so. Netflix show and Netflix does have a tendency with a lot of its shows to end up through three seasons. So who knows? I don't, I, I'm just speculating. I have no information there, but I know a lot of their shows on end after three seasons. And so we have season three coming up. So I'm wondering if they do have that. Yeah. They have out. like a, they have like a formula for yes. yeah. Netflix where it's like the amount of people that they bring into the platform based on the show and how long they're willing to put resources into it and stuff like that. Yeah. So, so Regarding like Dr. Smith, my biggest problem with Dr. Smith is that I find her to be an irritant and kind of gets in the way sometimes of some other cooler storylines that we could have been focusing on some more. And she's not the main villain. She's just sort of there. And I'm not you're not even sure she is a villain. In some ways she is, in some ways she isn't. But she just kind of gets in the way sometimes for me. And when she started to actually help and try to redeem herself, I'm like, all right, cool. We're making some changes. But then it's just like, nope, well, never mind. We're falling back into those types of things. So I don't know. I'm curious what's going to go on with her in season three. She has a very interesting ending. I won't spoil it for you, Justin, uh, but you, you you have to let me know what you think. Uh, and it's kind of questionable. Um, my other complaint I actually have, and I'm being kind of mean here, is I got like kind of tired of the will robot love story like it was a little overplayed i think like there's a certain point where i just (laughs) or i'm just like all right i get it like you you want your robot back but like at a certain point i just feel like maybe reuniting with the rest of humanity so you don't starve to death might be slightly higher on your priority list yeah and also put a lot of these priorities with you really like i i want i'm worried about my family right yeah there's like eight billion people on this craft uh, I believe five does not outweigh eight billion. Yeah, and and that's why, the, like, the, some of the actions that the Robinsons take are kind of like, you know, I'm not sure about that one. Like, I, I, super I selfish. It's like super, super yeah. selfish. Like, I get behind the whole story. It's about them, their family, and they love each other, and it's about that, and that they're a valuable member of these of this society. However, I would have. I'm not necessarily disagreeing with some of the actions of the leader of the ship towards the end because it's kind of like yeah these guys are kind of a giant pain in the ass we could be in alpha centauri by now they just would shut the hell up and sit down right you know it's just like oh yeah we can come back right we can come back and deal with certain things just shut up you know it's just certain things like that which is like i get the beginning of the season or at the end of last season how there was like a, a question of what should we do Who's at the better idea? But at this point, when you're dealing with the entire space station that's tra- that is the future of humanity versus a group of five, or was it like two hundred on the planet? Right. You come back. Yeah. You come back. Yeah. They're not in in yeah. dire. Strength. But I also feel like you you have a conversation about that, right? You don't get sneaky about it. You just have a conversation, like, okay, well, we need a certain amount of people are going to be on the ship, and a certain amount of people are going to have to stay behind. Let's actually use all these giant big brains that we have to figure out. Well, who are the people who are best suited to stay behind? Who are going to actually be able to survive the longest, and who are able who are going to be able to sort of establish 
kind of a long-term colony or something like that. You know, like there's a conversation to be had and just sometimes it feels like who's in charge again? Like, is it, are the kids in charge? Like, because it kind of feels like that sometimes. It's one of those things like, well, let's have a conversation. We right. just have a conversation. It's, yeah, we say that a billion times. Right, we're spoilery towards the end. So this is spoilery because it's towards the end. We've already spoiled some shit, so. Oh, well. It's like, all right, aliens are, are hunting us down. All right, that we should talk about that. We think, yeah. So we, we, have, we have a time-based scenario we're in. Okay, well, we have a solution. We are stuck with 200-something people on the planet. A lot of them are family members. We have a solution to get air on the, on the ship, but it's going to take time. Mm-hmm. I have a second solution that can help supplement that time make it quicker in about a day let's kind of put this information together and come up with a consensus idea of how to do it and no instead of they're like no we gotta stop and go to the planet <laughs> exactly. get all that more it's, it's exactly like, no, what it's felt like if it's, we just yeah. sit there and just say hey i know you're in charge you know those four people on that list of those four different passwords like maybe those four people should get together because they're obviously a council of the whole thing also, and what was the point the of that? Ideas. So, like, Justin's referring to there's there's a there's a moment in the in the actual show where like this there's this the one guy that you think might oh he he might be the evil one or the bad human right shocking he he's the bad human he does some stuff that is questionable and at some point he gets like this access key to everything first of all like wouldn't he just have that to begin with like why why does he need approval from a bunch of subordinates to get like an access key. It just made no sense. The whole, like that, that whole concept made no sense to me. And then he just sort of decides to do things like, no, we're going to leave now. It's like, why are you going to leave now? Like, like we have a solution. No, I don't want to do it. It's too dangerous. Like, is it, it's not really that dangerous. So like at a certain point, yeah. And that leads me to my biggest, my biggest beef with season two is that too much of season two felt like infighting Grey's anatomy drama and not enough of it felt like we're in space and doing cool exploration stuff. A lot of spinning wheels. I felt it like really felt season. that way. Like we, we were on one of the best yeah. parts about it was when they're on these different planets and they're seeing these different things. There's that one. I don't know if it was the first the season, second season whale it all in kind the of mesh together. giant thing. Yeah. Like, space awesome. whales or like the, the, I forget. I think it was the first season where she's in the plains and it's like purple grass. Yeah. It looks so cool. Like yeah. I thought the point of Lost in Space back in the day was they had like one set because <laughs> it was like the 1950s or 60s and they had to like come up with an idea monster per week got like Star Trek uh and kind of like explore different places. I liked when they were doing that. And I I, I kind of see like they're kind of trying to make it the Lost in Space as a whole group and they're trying to like come up with a idea as a community how to solve stuff. But like, I kind of like it being those five or six and having, uh, Mr. Or Mrs. Smith be kind of, or Dr. Smith be the person that's putting some wrenches in Antag- the car. Yeah, she's the know? antagonistic one. Right. Exactly. And you had Don's the funny quippy one. I like that stuff. And then they get back with the whole group of like, ah, oh, this isn't really lost. In space. Right. It's just kind of, and I thought that season one was basically like how season one ended, where the Robinsons were sort of left behind, sent to a different place, that kind of thing, and the Resolute got away. I thought that was going to be the, the exactly. new status quo. And now quo of the we show. were going to explore as they tried to go from world to world and, and sort of reach and find the Resolute or try to get back to Elephants and start on their own. It's and like one episode. They're back. And like, they're yeah, they were there. Back. And like, we were on two planets and we were in the atmosphere of a third. And the atmosphere of the third one was awesome because we got to see a, a massive space well. That was cool. 
the ocean planet had some interesting imagery to it but like there wasn't a whole lot to it and then the other planet was just basically my backyard it just felt like it was arizona you know and like it was super dusty so i was kind of disappointed with that i gotta be honest like it felt i felt like there was more that they could do with the grandeur of of sort of space adventure um the i think they just went too much like the interpersonal drama and not enough the you know people versus environment like i don't i don't want the people versus people drama from the show for some reason i want the cool like the cool adventure drama as they're trying to you know as pioneers or survivalists somehow live and survive on these things that's just again but that could be very selfish on my part because that's just what i want and if other people are enjoying it then that's, that's also fine. what they're i expected it. exactly I expected in that first season and be like oh well they're in some shit now let's take this time to kind of like get back and you know now they're legitimately lost in space and they have to kind of like find a way to jump back to the resolute because there's no way they can because i thought i thought the first show that was created was about these guys have no way back home you know and they're just kind of jumping from planet to planet from monster to monster i'd much rather prefer like a and again like you said maybe it's just us maybe it's just what, what we expect and you know they can't tailor the shit to everybody i just expected like they have their problems that they have, right? Whether they're losing water or they're losing air or whatever it is. And they end up on a planet and that planet somehow solves the issue that they have for them in that group of six. And they had to work with Dr. Smith despite they don't want to. And she has her own devices as to what she wants to accomplish in the whole group. So that, that's just what I thought it was. But like you said, maybe it's one of those things where they can't please everybody. But right. I just so- thought I got... I hope too in, community based. I hope in the next season because because uh, I, again I don't want to spoil the final episode for you, but the the way they leave it in the final episode of season two is that they arrive at a new place. Uh, I won't say where, uh, but it's 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 interesting and it opens up some not just questions about like space, but it also questions about certain characters and stuff like that. So I'm all open. I'm totally going to watch season three. Like despite some of the like the complaints and quibbles I've had, I'm still very much enjoying the show. Um, I think I really much enjoy the family dynamic. Yeah. I think it's just a nice show. Mm-hmm. Like it, they're in the end, like all the stuff we're complaining about, they're still really cool characters and it's just nice. And <laughs> the special effects are phenomenal. Yeah. Like, they're very good. They're unbelievable for a Netflix TV show. And I'm watching, I'm like, man, what could they do with like an alien show with this type of budget? Don't, and don't, effects? I can't, it, I can't, my heart crazy. My heart can't take the idea of more alien. Oh, I love alien. Uh, but overall, I, I mean, I highly recommend the show. Uh, again, it's it's not my favorite show just because I do like grittier things. But I nonetheless like this quite a bit. And I would certainly never turn down an opportunity to watch it. And I would love to see more seasons of it. I think some of the some of the actors are great. I'm a huge fan of of uh, the woman who plays a Penny. She, like Justin said, I think she is the most normal and hilarious person. I think Don West has some super funny lines at time as well. Uh, I love the parents. I actually think the parents are both pretty cool. Um, and so I just want them to explore yeah. the family stuff more. I want them to go more into like you want to get them to go in the past compelling. more. Yeah, yeah. I want to see like, like yeah. what what happened and like I want to like I really liked when. When, you know, it was Will worried about the robot, but then the dad thought he was upset about him leaving him, stuff like that. Like, I like that. I like that type of stuff, that emotional information. And then, like, they kind of use all that stuff to make Don cry at some point. That stuff's great. And I think Don's hilarious. Let's explore more Don's character. Like, it's good stuff. So. 
But anyway, we're both we're both highly uh, highly appreciative of it, and definitely would love to uh, look forward to season three whenever they decide to do season three, and hopefully more after that. Uh, so that's uh, Lost in Space. Get it on Netflix. It's really good. There's like 20 episodes between the first two seasons. Uh, it's definitely great entertainment. Uh, and that's uh, that's going to be about it for us. Uh, if you like what we're hearing, you're hearing. Yeah, if you like what we're covering, uh, you can catch us online at thelollygaggers.com. You can catch us both on Twitter. I'm at lollygaggerco, and Justin is at buysjustin. Uh, if you want to watch Justin play some video games, uh, World of Warcraft, doing some progression, we put the first uh, video or two up on the lollygaggers.com. We can see some of his uh, some of his raid group from Firetree, uh, from what you said, Firetree server, I think, uh, doing some it's progression. Firetree, it's one, one's a, it's a pretty good guild and it's fun and yeah. it, it's nothing really fancy. It's just here are the fights. Yeah, and it's and that's but cool I also have some I have some playthroughs for I have Titanfall two coming up here. I think I'll be posting that tomorrow and yeah. stuff. Which well, today's Monday, so Tuesday, so I'll be posting that here and it's going to be a. It's a, it's, I have like 30 minute sections of it. It's a nice little playthrough of the game, which cool. if you've never seen Titanfall 2, seen the story, it's pretty great. So. And you can also follow him on mixer.com slash Yehuva, and you can actually watch him play some games live. Uh, and then we are pretty close, possibly this week, starting to experiment with doing some Twitch stuff with the Adventures in Lollygagging, maybe doing some actual live play stuff uh, online. Uh, we'll have some more information about that up on uh, Twitter and some of the other places. Uh, but Justin, I think I'm going to end uh, the episode with a simple question. Like we were just lamenting the fact that Lost in Space and the Robinsons don't travel to enough planets. So uh, what kind of space alien type planet or encounter would you like to, to have them have them uh, run into in season three? Well, we've gotten desert. We've gotten like uh, vistas and bluffs. And we got ice. Water. We got ice in the first. Yeah, ice. Yeah. I, I want lush jungle. Like really lush, like a canopy and vines and stuff. We had like a foresty place where they had where they were on the first planet with the with the colonists, with like the things that were eating the moths. But I want thick jungle. That's what I'm looking for. So yeah, nice. thick jungle, Jumanji style. So I'm looking for.